This morning, our scripture reading comes from several passages. Uh, the first one will be from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. I'll give you a moment to turn to that um, in your pew Bibles or on your device. Um, if you're using the pew Bible, it's going to be found on page 955. The text will also be displayed on the PowerPoint. Again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 9. And keep your finger on verse 20, because we'll be reading that right after. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Moving to verse 20. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now the next set of verses will be from Proverbs chapter 7, verses 21 to 27. If you're looking in your pew Bibles, that's on page 532. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stay stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. May God bless the reading of his word. And now I'll turn our time over to Minister Taylor. Good morning, Crossbridge. It's great to see all of you here in person and also all of you virtually. I don't know where the, the camera is at that point, uh, at this point. Uh, but it's great to see you. It's great to be here and to preach God's word this morning. Uh, I, I will admit, it, it seems a little awkward, perhaps, for the first time that I get to, to preach in person at Crossbridge, and it's such a joyous moment to commission Cola that we would be talking uh, about this topic of straight talk about sexual temptation. However, nevertheless, in, in God's sovereignty, uh, this happened to be the, the week that this topic fell and that everything else uh, was planned. Um, so perhaps it's, it's irony for me, because I remember in, in seminary, I would frequently criticize that the church as a whole did not talk about sex enough, uh, and so that I get to, on this you know, particular occasion, I get to address the topic. Uh, so, so nevertheless, um, here we are. So as I take on this tough subject, uh, I, I will ask for a little bit of grace as this is, one, a, a sensitive subject, and, and two, something that I could not fully address or say everything that ought to be said or to say everything that Scripture says about this topic in, in one 30-minute sermon. So uh, with that, let's, uh, let, let's start off with a, a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get into it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning. 
in the midst of a tropical storm, uh, in the midst of a global pandemic, you are God. In all of the waves, in all of the calm moments, Lord, you are God. Uh, So we praise you and we thank you. We thank you for your word, and we ask that you would instruct us this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, would the words that I communicate merely be uh, the words that, that you have given to us. So may I step into the background, Father, you into the foreground. We thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For anything, if there's anything that you would get out of the sermon today, uh, this would be my hope, is that you would get uh, this. The, the big idea is that in Christ, there is forgiveness for those who have sinned sexually. And that forgiveness is the source of strength for fighting future, future sexual temptation. In Christ, there is forgiveness for those who have sinned sexually. And that forgiveness is the source of strength for fighting future sexual temptation. I first spoke, or the first text that we read was in 1 Corinthians verses 9 through 11, and it's kind of this vice list of a lot of different sins. And it says, do not be deceived, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, and goes on and talks about all these things. And one thing that we see uh, from this is that the church itself is filled with those who have been broken by sexual sin. Of course, there are a lot of other things that are encompassed in that, a lot of other sins that are mentioned, but but specifically sexual sin is mentioned. And it says, Do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. And then it goes on to list all these things. And then verse 11 says, And such were some of you. As we look through that and as we think through that, The passage, of course, is talking specifically about the church in Corinth, but we can apply this, or we can think that, at least by implication, that this also applies to us, and such were some of you. The the church is filled with those who have been broken by sexual sin, by those who have struggled uh, with it. As a youth minister and as somebody who's been in the ministry for not a whole lot of time, uh, I can still attest to seeing this over and over again in the church, over and over again in counseling situations, that sexual sin is a challenge for us. In seminary, many of the professors that I had talked about being in, that had been in ministry for many, many years, had counseled many couples, uh, many families. And the same thing, you know, tends to come up and happen again, that these sexual struggles, a sexual sin is something that happens over and over. The church is frequently criticized uh, on on our sexual ethic. We're, We're frequently criticized, and we are criticized with the sort of uh, idea that, that we think that we have a holier-than-thou attitude, an attitude as though we, we think that we ourselves do not struggle with sin, that, that we are pure and holy, and especially when it comes to sexual sin, that sexual sin is not something that, that we struggle with, but it's something that the world struggles with. It's something that is outside of us. But as we reflect both on practical experience 
and even as we, we see in Scripture that these struggles is something that has been in the church from the beginning. However, simply stating that it's an issue or simply stating that there is sexual sin in the church, there is sexual sin among Christians, we can go farther in just this passage here and, and say that there is still good news. There is still hope in that midst. And that's in verse 11, and it says, and such were some of you. Notice it says past tense, you know, talking about all this list of sins, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. This is our hope, and this is the world's hope, is that there, there is forgiveness. And I mentioned that first because as we think about the topic of sexual sin, of sexual temptation, it's something that we don't like to talk about. There's a little bit of, of natural uncomfortability of, of addressing that topic. And frequently, it's something that as when we struggle, we struggle in private. It's something that we don't speak about. But as we see this, as we read through this, we know that there is hope. You were washed, you were sanctified. This is what Jesus has done for us. Even in that sin, perhaps that no one knows about, that we've kept hidden in secret, that we feel this weight of shame about. Jesus has died for that. He loves you for that. If you trust in him, if you follow him, he loves you, he cares for you, and he bore the weight of that sin. And that's exactly what this verse is teaching, is that there is forgiveness in Jesus even for those sins that we are most ashamed of, even for sexual sin. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. So it is sexual sin is something that people in the church struggle with, that Christians struggle with. It is something that is forgiven in Christ if we come to him and we trust him. And that forgiveness that we experience in Christ is something that gives us power, gives us energy, gives us uh, the ability to fight future sexual sin, future sexual temptation. What Jesus has done for us is our source of strength to resist sexual temptation. And if you look to back to, to verse 20, and, and really at the end of, of verse 19, it says, you are not your own. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Jesus has washed your shame away. Jesus has borne your shame on the cross. He has borne the weight of your sin on the cross. And it's not merely that that sin was just washed away in that moment, but Jesus himself actually bore that punishment for you. It was a costly thing that's exactly what it says. When you were bought with a price, you were bought with a price that is the price of what Jesus paid for you. 
And he looks upon us. He loves us so much that even in those moments, even in our shame, he says, you were worth it. And he went to the cross and he paid the price for your sin. What Jesus has done for us is our source of sexual, is our source of strength to resist sexual temptation. Now, why is that? Why is that? Why is knowing this forgiveness, why is knowing the gospel, why, why is it that that makes us or that gives us strength to, to then resist? Well, I think for, for one aspect of it is that we realize that we are forgiven. We realize that there is hope and that it's not just more shame upon shame, but that there is hope, there is forgiveness, there's light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. And knowing that Christ loves us, knowing that we are loved, and knowing that we are forgiven gives us strength to fight on. More than that, too, we, we also see something when it says that, that you are not your own, that you were bought with a price. But, but this being not our own, and, and as being not our own, is the reason to glorify God in our body also gives us a sort of source of strength to fight sexual temptation. And the, and the reason that it does, and if you were in the Youth Sunday School, we've been talking about uh, this book by John Piper. It's, it's called Don't Waste Your Life. And one of the things that it says in there oftentimes, or frequently time and time again, is that we tend to make our lives too much about ourselves. And that's by making our lives about ourselves, we become sort of self-absorbed. But the way of love, the, the, the way of following Christ, ultimately is to make our lives not about ourselves. And here in this passage, we, we see that example applied specifically to our bodies. When it says, you are not your own, so glorify God in your bodies. Now, what this means, at least when it says glorify God in your bodies, if, if you look through verses 12 through 19, you, you'll see uh, the, the continued discussion of uh, sexuality, the continued discussion of uh, our body and how we use our body for sex. And this is the conclusion, is that you are not your own. What it's saying is that our sex lives, our sexuality, is meant not for us, is not meant just to be self-seeking or self-satisfying, but our sexuality, our sex lives are meant for the glory of God. Glorify God in your body, we could rephrase that to say, glorify God in your sexuality. We could rephrase that to say, glorify God in your sex lives. How do we do that? Well, we do that many different ways that encompass that whole picture. One way is by of course, following and accepting what God has said our, sexual, our sexuality should be, our sex life should be, namely either, either celibate or to be practiced in a, a lifelong monogamous marriage. And then also it's this aspect of making it not about ourselves, uh, making it about the glory of God rather than our own satisfaction, rather than our own uh, sort of pleasure, so to speak. There's, there's more to that, but, but by making it outside of ourselves. And so I, I read uh, an article that was recently published uh, on the gospelcoalition.org, and, and you can see it through the, the QR code uh, above, or if you go to the gospelcoalition.org, um, they, they posted this article that says that unmarried sex is worse than you think. 
And in the, the article, it, it quotes a survey done of more than 20,000 uh, college students about sex and happiness. And one of the things that the, the article was saying was that as Americans, we are very obsessed, or at least in American culture, we are very obsessed with sex. We talk about it a lot. Uh, it's, it's something that uh, is just a part of our lives in, in all kinds of different ways to the media and everything else. But the, the article also pointed out that among this survey, that the you know, common sexual ethic of the culture is that everything goes, anything's okay as long as it's consensual. And the idea is that, you know, if, if that's true, if that's the sexual ethic that the culture has adapted, then that should be an all-time high for sex. You know, as long as it's consenting, so it's so free and so open that it's okay for all these different scenarios. And so the theory is that we would be having a lot of sex as Americans. But the article says that's, that's not the case, actually. Uh, and in one of the, the quotes, uh, it says, young people are having less sex and are less happy than the married church-going generation before them. Now, I think this is, you know, kind of a, a generalization when it says the, the church-going generation before them. But, but I think that the idea behind this, why would this be the case, is because if we follow what God has told us, if we, you know, build our house upon the Lord, upon his teaching, and follow what he has told us about sex, and when we make it about the glory of God rather than ourselves, we, we actually find more delight in it. Uh, our sex lives are vibrant in, in marriage. You know, it's kind of odd to say, right? But, but married people's sex lives are more vibrant than, you know, the, the sort of culture have sex with, with whoever as long as it's consensual. That's what the article is telling us. And so then as we make our lives, our sex lives, not about us, but we make it about the glory of God, it then fuels us. It gives us this sort of source to fight future sexual temptation. Now, as we continue to go through, I struggled a lot to think about, you know, how does Proverbs fit into, you know, th this whole thing? Uh, and, and originally, when I was asked to preach this sermon, the, the text that was suggested was, uh, you know, from Proverbs, though not one verse or chapter from Proverbs, just stated Proverbs. And one of the things, that Pro Proverbs talks about sexual temptation a lot. Proverbs talks about sex a lot, in fact. And in a lot of ways, it's actually about a warning. Uh, it's actually a warning. And so here in Proverbs chapter 7, uh, it's the same thing. It's giving us a warning. It's urging us to follow the way of wisdom, to follow God's teaching for sexuality. And it's describing the consequences of rejecting them. So at the, at the beginning, um, at, at the beginning of the, the whole discourse in Proverbs chapter 7, it says, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight to your intimate friends to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. So it's urging the way of wisdom. And then it goes on to, you know, describe, uh, you know, how this forbidden woman, how this adulterous woman is 
uh, luring through lies and enticing through all these different ways. Uh, this, this man that the, the verse is speaking to, the chapter is speaking to the son, to follow the way of wisdom and, and seeing avoid uh, this temptation. And, and as we read that, as we read those passages, as we read those verses, one thing that's very interesting about the book of Proverbs is the literary genre, uh, right? So, you know, it's kind of confusing, again, as we, we read it, as we read about this adulterous woman. But actually, the, the adulterous woman in Proverbs 7 is a personification of sexual temptation. So it's not meant to be, you know, literally a, a, a adulterous woman who is enticing us, but it's a personification of sexual temptation. And likewise, the, the man who the, the passage is written to, to urge to follow the way of wisdom and to not fall to the lures of the adulterous woman, we can interpret that to mean, you know, anyone who is seeking to follow God's ways. It's not necessarily specifically a man, and the adulterous woman is not specifically an adulterous woman, but we should understand it to be sexual temptation in general, whatever it is that may tempt us. And so, in verse, with, with that in mind, let's read verses 21 through 23 again. It says, With much seductive speech she persuades him. With her smooth talk she compels him. All at once he follows her. And as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, to, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know it, know that it will cost him his life. And so that is the warning to us. Remember, it's not about specifically this adulterous woman, but it's about whatever sexual temptation that, that we may face. In the moment, we may think that it is delighting, that it will bring us joy, but then suddenly, as the passage says, it does not, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Maybe that consequence happens in the here and now. Maybe giving way to the sexual temptation, maybe that is something that brings to ruin a marriage or that, that brings to ruin other relationships. But temptation, it, it falls in this way that it is seductive. It speaks to our weaknesses in all these ways. And then suddenly it's too late. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And in verses 24 through, through 27, it, it adds two, two other dimensions to this, or two more important thoughts. It says, And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. And again, Proverbs is written, you know, frequently you, you'll, you'll see this as it says, and now, O sons, listen to me. But again, it's, you know, to anyone who would follow the way of wisdom, to follow God's teachings, says, oh, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways, and do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. 
So two more ideas here is, is one, the, the passage points out that how many have fallen into this temptation? How many have fallen and have been ruined uh, by following this adulterous woman or by following this way into temptation? So that's one aspect. The other aspect is by mentioning Sheol, uh, the, the place of death. It brings to mind that the consequences, that the death that is brought about by the adulterous woman is not only in the here and now, but it has eternal ramifications between us and God. And so as Proverbs warns us that temptation is seductive, it is sneaky, it speaks to our weaknesses, but don't give in to that temptation as 1 Corinthians calls us to, to glorify God in our bodies, to, to make our sex lives not about us, but about the glory of God. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, first, of course, is to look to Jesus. You know, if you're here, you're, you're still alive. If you're listening to me, you're still alive. And so you may be, you know, as the passage in Proverbs describes as the, uh, the stag caught in the fast or as the ox going to slaughter, but you're still alive in the here and now. And so it has not yet cost you your life, but look to Jesus before that may happen, before it's too late. Look to Jesus. Know that he has forgiven you. Know that your shame is not too great or too strong or beyond forgiveness, but look to Christ. And then look to Christ together. You know, this is why we have a church, right? This is why we have a community, is that, you know, we are not meant to do the Christian walk alone, but it's one that is meant to be gone together. It's one that is meant to be walked with other brothers and sisters, so again, as I mentioned, we, we frequently do not talk about sex enough or, or, or maybe these things. There's, there's a lot of shame that is, you know, kind of brought into these things or, or brought into these topics. But we need to remember that Christ has already died for that sin. Christ has died for that shame, and so it need not be covered in shame as our brother or as our sister may need encouragement or may need accountability or for others to walk, we should be walking together in small groups or in accountability groups or discipleships, one-on-one, -on -one, uh, these sorts of things to walk together. So let us look to Christ. Let us look to Christ together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. Lord, we know that we are a broken people. Here in the church, we are a broken people that have been redeemed by grace, that, that you have made whole. And as a people, as a whole, we, we are broken in need of you, in need of your saving grace. So Lord Jesus, would you be our Savior? Would you be the one to whom we look, even in some of the most difficult and even in some of the most perhaps hidden things of our lives. Lord, we give you thanks uh, for forgiveness and healing that we can find in you. We pray in Jesus' name.